are listening to the Mission Church Podcast. We hope that you will be encouraged and built up in your relationship with Jesus as you hear the preaching and teaching of God's Word. If Mission Church is not your home church, it is our heart that this podcast will be supplemental and not a substitute to you belonging to a local church in your community. If we can help you get connected to a church in your community, please let us know. Now we hope you enjoy the message from our Sunday gathering. Hey, what's up, Mission Church? My name is Travis, and I serve as the pastor of preaching and theology here at Mission. If you got a Bible, go ahead and open up to Matthew chapter 6. If you don't have a Bible and you would like to follow along, check out the screen below. You can follow along there. Now, this morning, we're going to take a break from the book of Acts and start a new teaching series called Pray Like Jesus. Over these next few weeks, we are going to learn from Jesus and learn from his prayer life of how you and I are to pray to God. And this morning, we're going to see that you and I are to pray to God as Father. Now, I know for some of us, that is a very difficult concept for us to wrap our minds around. Several years ago, I was watching on Netflix a show called Comedians in Cars Getting Coffee. On that show, Jerry Seinfeld, who is a comedian, would oftentimes get in a really cool old car and pick up other comedians and just catch their stories. Well, on this particular episode, he was in a 1969 Pontiac Judge, and he picked up the famous radio host Howard Stern. And as they were driving to get a cup of coffee, Jerry asked Howard how he got into radio. And with that, Howard Stern pointed at the radio, and here is what he said. Now, there, now here is where it all started for me. The radio was everything to my father. He would ignore me the entire time. He would tell me to shush the whole time and ignore me. And I became enamored with the radio. I could get my father's attention if I could get into that box and get on the radio. And so this is my way of getting my dad's attention. Hey, I'm just opening up here. You see, praying to God the Father is difficult for some of us. It's hard for us to wrap our minds around because some of us are carrying intentional or unintentional wounds from our earthly fathers. I know people I've talked with that said that their father was just missing. Their father, their father either had a, like a physical ailment or he was sick or sadly and tragically he passed away and he just wasn't there. It wasn't that their dad didn't want to be there. It's that their father couldn't be there. Other people I've talked to said that basically they had a father who ghosted them. That you know what that means, that basically just cut off all communication and just disappear and vanish. One day they went to bed and the next morning they woke up and dad was no longer there. Several people I've talked to described to me that they had a father who was passive. Dad was physically there, but he wasn't there, if you know what I mean. He never engaged in their lives. He never protected them. He would oftentimes come home, crash on the couch just to play fantasy sports or watch the game. Or maybe he would retreat into the garage on the golf course and not really be around. Other people I've talked to said they had a father that was more of a dominant father. Everybody knew that he was there because his presence was so powerful. He was more like a drill sergeant or a boss. They knew that their dad was there, but they questioned whether their father liked them. And there are many people I've talked to that said they had a good father. They had a father in their life who loved them and who was present, that he always did what was best for them. But most good fathers know this, they're not a perfect father. I remember many years ago when I took off, I was gonna go to Colorado and meet with a counselor. And I would say that my father was a good father. Yet as I was about to take off to go to Colorado, you know what my dad said to my mom? He's gonna learn how we messed him up. You see, my dad was good, but he knew that he wasn't perfect. And why do I share this with you guys? I don't share this with you just to beat you up, but dads, I share this with you to build you up. 
Each and every one of us have to realize that we have a tremendous opportunity to either bless or curse our children. And if you find yourself identifying with any one of those types of fathers that I mentioned, what would I encourage you to do? To do what I have done and just simply repent to your kids. Tell your children you're sorry. I don't think I've always been in that good father category. I can tell you there are seasons in my life where I kind of go into that passive category. Sometimes I go into more of that dominant category. But each time we do that, we need to repent. One of the most memorable moments in my life was when I was in high school and my father disciplined me wrongly. He was a Christian and I wasn't. Yet when he realized that he had disciplined me wrong, he came upstairs and what did he do? He repented. He told me that he was sorry and he asked me to forgive him. Now I can remember as a teenager sitting there going, that was really weird. What is up with dad? Well, what was up with my father? Jesus was, right? And so my dad just simply repented to me. Now, I don't share this just to simply beat up on men. And I also don't share this just simply to rehash bad memories. Rather, I think it's important for you and I to recognize that each and every one of us have various father wounds to different degrees that we oftentimes project upon God. And when we do that, we tend to view God through our broken lens rather than through the lens of Scripture. A famous theologian by the name of A.W. Tozer says this, What comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. Why is that? It's because the way you and I view God will oftentimes impact the way we approach Him in prayer. And thankfully, we have, been, we have not been left to guess how to do this. You see, Jesus is going to show us through His prayer life how you and I are to approach God and to pray to God as a loving Father. So look with me in Matthew chapter 6. Here's what we read. Whenever you pray, you must, be like the, must not be like the hypocrites, because they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by people. Truly, I tell you, they have their reward. Notice what Jesus says here in this verse. He starts it off with, with this word, whenever. Three times in, these, in this passage, he is going to use the word when. Why is that? Prayer for the people of God is not a matter of if, but a matter of when. And Jesus knows that the people he is talking to are a praying people. You see, mission, the primary way that faith expresses itself is through prayer. And prayerlessness is nothing more than practical atheism. My kids will oftentimes come up and talk to me at the most inconvenient of times. Sometimes they'll come up to me with needs. Sometimes they'll just come up to talk. I'll be sitting at my desk working on my sermon or working on some project, and the next thing I know, one of them saying, hey, Dad, can you take me to the soccer park? Or, hey, Dad, can you take me to a store? Or, hey, Dad, can you do this for me? You know, pick up this heavy object or get this thing off the shelf. But there's other times I'll be working and they just come up to talk to me. My son will come up and he'll bring a phone and he'll say, hey, Dad, check this out. This is really funny. My daughters will show me something that they do with like their Harry Potter dolls, or they'll tend to show me a picture of a dog that they drew. You see, I think that is to illustrate what our prayer life is to be like. You and I are to approach God, yes, with our needs, but we are also to approach God just to converse with Him, just to talk with Him. I mean, think about it. What is your first reaction when something bad happens in your life or you come into a need? Is it to solve the problem or is it to pray about it? What is your first reaction when you see something that is good, beautiful, and true? 
Is it to pull out your phone and take an Instagram picture of it? Or is it to thank God for what you're seeing? And when you find yourself in isolation for a period of time, like I did a few, a few months ago in two weeks of quarantine, do you just look at that as an opportunity to binge watch Netflix? Or do you see it as an opportunity to commune and to have a relationship with God through prayer? You see, the people Jesus talks about in this text are not praying to God. They are praying to who? Themselves. Think about what Jesus calls them. He calls them hypocrites, play actors. They're putting on a spiritual act. When I walk by my daughter's room, I will oftentimes hear various voices and noises coming from it. Sometimes I'll hear a man's voice. Sometimes I'll hear a dog's voice. Yet when I open that door to see what's going on, do I expect to see a man or to see a dog? Not necessarily. Why? Because they're play acting. I can't tell you how many times I'll be downstairs and I'll hear one of my kids crying and I'll just yell out, hey, what's going on? What's, you know, what's taking place there? Like, you know, just trying to figure it out. And my wife will have to go, Travis, calm down. They're just acting. They're just playing. Jesus is saying that our prayer life is not to be like this. These people would stand up in the synagogue and they're not praying to God. They're not praying to be heard by God. Rather, what are they praying for? To get the praise of people, to get the praise of men. They're showing off. When I was in high school, I befriended this guy in my class whose dad owned a Dairy Queen. We would hang out, we would carpool to and from school, we would play basketball together at times. Yet, why was I his friend? Because I liked him? Not necessarily. I just really wanted a Dairy Queen blizzard. And there was one day we were on our way home from school in which he pulled into his dad's restaurant. And as he walked out, he had a dilly bar in his hand. He got into the car and he looked at me and he said, Hey man, I'm so sorry. My dad just doesn't like me handing out free stuff. But I tell you what, I can get you a discount if you want to go in there and get something. And I just remember thinking, what a jerk, right? Yet how many times do you and I approach God in such a way? You see, Jesus says we shouldn't be praying like that. We shouldn't use God to get anything other than God, right? You see, when we pray, we shouldn't be showing off to get the praise of people. Jesus calls these people hypocrites. And I can't help but to think that the reason they are acting this way because they viewed God as a God who is missing. They viewed God as a God who had ghosted them possibly thinking he's not even around. So we might as well use his name to get something we want, right? To get praise from people. So how are we to pray? Well, Jesus tells us, look what he says in verse six. And when you pray, go into your private room, shut your door and pray to your father who is in secret and your father who is in secret will reward you. Now, are you and I only to pray in a private room? Are we never to pray in public? No, that's not what Jesus is saying. If you look in John chapter 11, we see that Jesus prays in public at the death of his friend Lazarus. And we see his disciples praying in public. Yet what Jesus is saying is that our prayer in public should be reflective of our prayer life in private. You see, Jesus himself would get up early in the morning and find a desolate place to do what? To pray. Look in Mark chapter 1 verse 35. Here's what we read. Very early in the morning, while it is still dark, he got up, went out, and made his way to a deserted place. And there he was praying. You see, what was Jesus doing? He was trying to find a private place to pray. And the people who are praying for others to see, guess what? They are not on center stage in a private room. Who is? God is. You see, I believe the point Jesus is trying to make here is not so much about location, 
but about focus and attitude. That when you and I approach God in prayer, He should be our main focus. And since it's easier to do that in private, in isolation, we should make time to do that. Think about the relationships in your life. Do you only engage in those relationships in public? No. I mean, I talk with my kids. I talk with my wife in public. I talk about my wife and about my kids uh, in public. But do you know what is so much richer than talking to them and about them in public? The private one-on-one conversations. The times I put my children to bed at night are some of the richest conversations we have because we have each other's undivided attention. Some of the best conversations I have with my son are after soccer practice and we're driving by ourselves home, me and him in a car. Some of the richest, deepest, most intimate conversations I have with my wife are at times late at night just talking to each other when the kids are in bed or out on our coffee dates. I would argue that those private times, those private times is which the, the, the relationship is so much richer and deeper in which intimacy is built. You see, when do you find quiet times to pray? It's not always easy, is it? I mean, there, when I get up in the morning, I tend to move a little bit slower. And the reason I do that is because it offers me an opportunity to pray. My shower will be a little bit longer. I'll brush my teeth a little bit longer. Why? Because nobody's really interrupting me in the morning. I tend to commute to and from a coffee shop for work. That's where I study. And since my bike is not a two-seater but a one-seater, it offers me an opportunity to pray as I ride along those roads. I mean, I find myself praying for so many things. I pray for mission. I pray for my family. I pray for the person in the car next to me. I pray for the houses that I pass. Yet it is easier for me to find opportunities to pray. But you know who it was really hard to find, like who it was really hard to find opportunities to pray? My wife, especially when our kids were younger. I can remember noticing this and coming up to my wife, Jess, and just telling her, hey, on my day off, don't worry about it. I got the kids. Go to a coffee shop. Go to a park. Take your Bible. Find a time to read and pray. And like any good mother, she would feel guilty for that. And sometimes I would li- like to literally try to you know, force her to go do that. Yet she came home from each and every one of those, oppor- or every one of those times out just thanking me. Thanking me for the opportunity to be able to commune with God. So we get that we are to pray in private. But how are we to pray? Look at verse 7. It says this. When you pray, don't babble like the Gentiles, since they imagine they'll be heard for their many words. Don't be like them, because your Father knows the things you need before you ask Him. In 1 Kings chapter 18, we read about the prophet Elijah and the prophets of Baal. Within Israel, you had the people of God worshiping a false pagan god by the name of Baal. And this really ticked off of Elijah. He looked at the people and he says, why are we wavering between two opinions? If God is God, if the God of Israel is God, worship him. Yet if Baal is God, follow him. And so what did Elijah do? He rallied the 450 prophets of Baal together. He said, let's go out to Mount Carmel and let's find out whose God is the real one. Each one of us will make a sacrifice. And the first God that brings down fire and burns up that sacrifice is the true God. Elijah let the prophets of Baal go first. And the text tells us that they set up their altar, they put their sacrifice on it, 
until about noon, they were crying out to their God, crying out to Baal, asking him to come down and burn up that sacrifice. And what we read in the text is that Elijah actually engaged in what I would call a little bit of holy trash talk. He looked right at the prophets of Baal and he said, maybe you guys aren't loud enough. Maybe you're not using enough words. Maybe you need to get louder. Perhaps he's deaf. Perhaps he's asleep on the couch. I mean, one translation says, perhaps he's on the toilet. Maybe he's preoccupied right now. And what did the prophets of Baal do? They started to cut themselves and bleed, trying to get Baal to act. They did this all the way into the late afternoon. That's when Elijah got up. He took 12 stones, representing the 12, stones, or 12 tribes of Israel. He made an altar. He put his sacrifice on the altar. He then dug a trench around it and ordered that they take four water bowls and three times just drench the sacrifice, just making it sopping wet. And then listen to what Elijah does. 1 Kings chapter 18, verse 36. At the time for the offering, the evening sacrifice, the prophet Elijah approached the altar and said, Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, today let it be known that you are the God in Israel and that I am your servant and that at your word I have done all these things. Answer me, Lord, answer me, so that this people will know that you, the Lord, are God and that you have turned their hearts back. At that very moment, God sent down fire and incinerated that sacrifice. The wood was burnt up. The stones were burnt up. The offering was burnt up and the water was burnt up. At that moment, all the people just started crying out, the Lord is God, the Lord is God. How many prayers did Elijah pray? One. And how long did his prayer take? Less than a minute. Yet the prophets of Baal were doing what? Crying out all day long. You see, I would argue that the prophets of Baal saw Baal as a passive God as a passive father, somebody they had to beg to act. Yet Elijah just said, God, act, make your name famous. And what did God do? He burnt it up. He burnt it up. Friends, you and I, we are not to ramble on in our prayer lives. We don't need to do this. I grew up in a faith tradition in which I was given a necklace with these beads on it. And each one of those beads was a specific prayer that I was to pray. And I could pray through that necklace without even thinking about it, just, you know, just monotonously and just, just passively, just not even really thinking about it. Just go through and pray each one of those prayers. And what does Jesus say? You and I are not to do that. We don't have to ramble on because you and I are praying to a loving Father that knows what? Knows what we need before we even ask it. The Bible says that God knows the words that are going to come from you before they even come off your tongue. You see, that's how intimately our Father knows us. He is loving. He is wonderful. He is the best dad because he knows what we need before we even ask. The famous pastor by the name of Charles Spurgeon says it like this. True prayer is measured by weight, not by length. A single groan before God have more fullness of prayer in it than a fine oration of great length. So we know that we don't have to ramble on. We go into a private place. But what are we to, exact, what are we to exactly pray? Well, Jesus tells us in Matthew chapter 6, verse 9, listen to what it says. Therefore, 
You should pray like this. Our Father in heaven, your name be honored as holy. Mission, God has not ghosted us. God is not missing and God is not passive. He's not even arbitrarily a dominant father for we know that his commands are good. I wouldn't even say that God is just a good father, but rather God is the best father. You see, when Jesus says that you and I are to pray our father, what that is is a statement of identity. That within the first century, most people got their identity from their father. And that is not too dissimilar to us today. People will ask me sometimes, hey, what's your last name? When I go back to my home state, some people, they'll say, what's your last name? And what are they asking me? They're basically asking me, who's your daddy, right? And I'll say, oh, my last name's Fox. I'm the son of Gary Fox. My wife is a Serafian because she was the daughter of Angelo Serafian. When you read in the Bible, you read names like Simon, son of Jonah. You, re you read names like James and John, the sons of Zebedee. You read names like Rebecca, daughter of Bethuel, son of Milcah. And when Jesus says here, our father, what he is saying is that God hears and responds to you like a good father, as a loving father, as the best fathers do for their children. Notice what Jesus says here, our father, our father together, but I also think our father in relationship to Jesus. Jesus is saying, my father, he's your father. He's our Father. What you have to understand is that the moment you and I trust in Jesus Christ, what is true of Jesus is also true of those who are in Jesus, who are trusting in Jesus. When God broke those clouds and spoke down on Jesus at his baptism, you are my beloved son, with you I am well pleased. Think about that. He's saying that of Jesus, but he's also saying that of all those who are in Jesus. That God, when you pray to him, is not ashamed of you. He's not indifferent to you. He's not turning from you. For if you are in Jesus, he hears you because he always listens to his son. And so that you and I, when we cry out to the father, Jesus says this, you cry out to my father. You cry out to the same God too. And the word that Jesus uses here for father is the word Abba. It's a very intimate term. It's almost a childlike term. It means like daddy or dearest father. It is used of God by Jesus more than 60 times in the Gospels. It's the same word he used of his adopted earthly father, Joseph, and he uses it for God. And what you have to understand is that the word Abba, the term Abba is not some sort of like lighthearted baby cooing term, but rather it is always, almost always used in times of angst. Think about Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. What does he say? Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Take this cup from me. Nevertheless, not what I will, but your will be done. The Apostle Paul says in Romans chapter 8 this, For you did not receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. Instead, you received spirit of adoption, by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit Himself testifies together with our spirit that we are God's children. And when you look at the context there of Romans chapter 8, it's in the same context of Paul saying that the earth is literally groaning out in the, like the pains of childbirth, longing for the sons of God to be revealed. This is an angst-filled term. But did you notice what Paul said in this text? 
that you and I have received a spirit of what? Adoption. That God has brought you and me into his family because he wanted us. Think about anybody that adopts a child. I know people. I have family members that have adopted children. And when I ask them why, what do they say? Just because we wanted a child. And God has brought you into his family through adoption. Not because you're all that. Not because of your good works. But solely because of his grace. And what has he placed inside of us? His spirit that cries out, Abba, Father. You and I pray to God as Father. J.I. Packer, who's a famous theologian, says it like this. If you want to judge how well a person understands Christianity, find out how much he makes of the thought of being God's child and having God as his Father. If this is not the thought that prompts and controls his worship and prayers and his whole outlook on life, it means that he does not understand Christianity very well at all. Do you see now why understanding who God is and knowing God as Father is so important? You and I don't have to manipulate God. We don't have to show up, show off for God to get His attention. Jesus didn't have to, and you and I don't have to. Yet the God and Father that we pray to, friends, though Jesus says He is near, He is also distant. Where does, where does God reside? It says very clearly that we pray to our Father, where? In heaven. And it is in this prayer that we cry out to a God who is in heaven, whose will is always done in heaven. And this is a grace for us. Friends, a God who always conforms to your will, a God who never corrects you, is not the God of the Bible, but is the God of our own making. When you and I pray to God as our Father, that is not a term of ownership, but it is a term of relationship, that He is Father, that He is in heaven, that He is sovereign, and we are not. You see, we are to pray for God to honor His name, to make His name holy. And that is not merely the difference between something that is sinful and good. Rather, it tends to refer to something that is set apart as special from that which is common. When I was growing up, my parents had these dishes that they would call fine china. Now, fine china only came out on special occasions. We didn't use those plates, forks, bowls, and cups you know, for pizza. We didn't use it for a casual dinner, but we used it for special occasions like Thanksgiving, Christmas, and Easter. Maybe for you, it's not you know, a special plate or something like that, but it's some sort of special object that you only bring out at certain times, only for the most, the best of occasions. That's kind of what Jesus is talking about here. He's saying that we should pray for our Father's name to be treated with the highest honor and to be set apart above every name as holy. Mission, when you and I read the Bible, people don't necessarily name God but rather God tends to name people. He looks at this guy by the name of Abram and he says, your name is going to be Abraham. Yes, you are old. Yes, you are well, well beyond childbearing years, but I'm going to make you a father of many nations. He looks at this guy by the name of, by the name of Simon, one of Jesus's disciples. And what does Jesus say? That I'm going to call you Peter. I'm going to call you Rock. 
If you know anything about Peter, before you know, Jesus did a work in his life, he was a coward, running away. Yet when the Spirit of God came inside of him, what happened? He became the name that God had given him. You see, you've got to understand, God is not named, but rather He names and He conforms those He names, glorifying His name through them. As I get older, people will oftentimes tell me that I look and act more and more like my father. I mean, my hair and just, you know, my face, I guess I'm looking more and more like my dad. When people hear me laugh, they go, that's your father. That sounds just like your dad. The insurance company Progressive, they basically have a commercial out right now that says, we can't help keep you from becoming like your parents, but we can save you a bundle on your home and auto insurance, right? And we laugh at those commercials because what are those people in those commercials doing? They're acting like their parents. And I can't help but to think, just like we become like our parents, we pray, God, make your name holy. Make your name set apart. Lift it up. Give it the highest honor. And as we pray that, what do we do? We become more and more like our Father. We become more and more holy like He is, set apart like He is. So how do you view God? Do you view God as missing? Do you see Him as a Father who's ghosted you? A passive Father, a domineering Father, a good Father? Or do you see Him as the best Father? You see, you and I, we approach God our Father, through Jesus Christ, by the power of the Holy Spirit. And we cry out to Him, for He is a God who knows what we need before we even ask it. He knows you so deeply, the number of hairs on your head, the years of your life. He knows your joys. He knows your sorrows. This is not a God who has just checked out on you. This is a God who is fully invested in you because he's Father, the best Father. Let's pray to him now. God, we love you and we thank you that you are the best Father any of us could ever have. Our earthly fathers, many of them, did the best they knew how, but they all fell short. But God, you have never fallen short. You have never ever let us down. And so, Father, I just pray right now for those of us who know you, that we will pray to you, that we will commune with you, that we will listen to you, that your name will be holy in all the spaces and places of our city and in our lives. And God, I pray for those who don't know you, that right now, Jesus, be big. You said you have come to do what? To show us the Father. You say you are the way, the truth, and the life, and that no one can get to who? The Father, except through you. And so, Jesus, I pray that you just do a work in people's lives to help them to be able to see the goodness and the holiness of God the Father. Jesus, we love you, and we pray all this in your name. Amen.